Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for October 28th, Saturday reading of the Arapahoe County News. My name is Tim Elliott. Today, we will be reading the following main articles. Israeli-Gaza war resolution conflict erupts at Aurora City Hall as hundreds protest by Max Levy. Inglewood Court's restorative justice program growing by Elizabeth Slay. Unopposed Inglewood school board candidate Devon Williams has felony record and active arrest warrant record show by Elizabeth Slay. And following up with miscellaneous articles. At a meeting marked by passionate outbursts from a crowd of hundreds as well as friction among city lawmakers, a majority of Aurora City Council passed a resolution Monday condemning Hamas' recent attack on Israel. Repeatedly, Mayor Mike Kaufman used his gavel to try to drown out the raucous crowd that filled the council chambers to capacity. During one particularly heated exchange with other council members, the mayor pounded his gavel to interrupt progressive council member Juan Marcano, as Marcano was criticizing the resolution after being recognized to speak. You can't do that, Marcano said. I just did, Kaufman shot back. The resolution sponsored by conservative council member Francois Bergen denounced the invasion of Israel that Hamas launched from the Gaza Strip on October 7th. According to the Israeli government, more than 1,400 Israelis died in this surprise attack, and more than 200 civilians were taken hostage. Bergen's resolution was silent, however, on the Palestinian death toll that has climbed into the thousands since Israel launched a bombing campaign targeting Gaza in response to Hamas' attack. As of Monday, Gaza's health ministry reported that 5,087 people, including 2,055 children, have died in Israeli airstrikes since the last conflict began, according to Associated Press reports. Progressive council members proposed amendments to Berrigan's resolution during a study session last week that would have inserted references to violence and discrimination directed toward Muslims and Palestinian civilians. Their amendments were rejected. On Monday, after listening to more than three hours of remarks from members of the public, most of whom accused the majority of council members of ignoring the grief of Aurora's Palestinian community, progressives sharply criticized and conservatives defended the resolution condemning Hamas and expressing the city's support for Israel. If you read the resolution, it has nothing negative about any Palestinian people, Bergen said. It was drafted after the October 7th barbaric terrorist attack by Hamas, a terrorist organization. It was not about Muslim people, and it was not about Palestinian people. It was about a terrorist organization. She amended her resolution following public comment to include the statement that the city recognizes and mourns the loss of all innocent lives caught in the fighting between the Israeli Defense Forces and Hamas, an addition that the crowd heckled. Council member Danielle Jerinsky, who is the group's only Jewish member, acknowledged that both Muslim and Jewish attendees knew people in the region of Gaza and Israel 
who have been killed or otherwise trapped in the middle of the current conflict. I heard a woman speak about terror she has had as a Muslim since October 7th. I share that feeling as a Jew, Jurinsky said. The thought has literally crossed my mind as to who would hide my son should a targeted attack against the Jews happen here, like what happened in Israel. She was heckled by the crowd after she called Hamas' attack on Israel barbaric. When one man in the crowd questioned whether people would vote for her in 2025, Jurinsky replied that if I can't win an election being myself, I don't want to win it at all, and was applauded by attendees who had spoken in favor of Israel and the resolution. Jurinsky engaged in a lengthy back and forth with hecklers who had expressed sympathy for Palestine toward the end of her remarks, saying she understood that in our religions and in our cultures, maybe some of us grew up with blinders on at which point the crowd erupted in yelling and boos. Jurinsky continued speaking as the crowd yelled at her for over a minute while the mayor tried to restore order. Marcano tried to bring forward an alternative resolution that would have acknowledged prejudice and violence against Jews as well as Palestinians and expressed the city's support for both populations, but the conservative majority voted to keep the resolution off Monday's agenda. After public comment, Mercano apologized to the crowd from the Dias and said the council would have been better off voting on this resolution since it was the inclusive one that was developed with the input of directly impacted community members. The actions of an unrepresentative majority on this council have divided our city when they should be bringing us closer together, especially now, Marcano said. The matters in this resolution are about as far from municipal politics as you can get, yet some folks decided to play politics with human suffering and tragedy, and bringing this forward anyway, knowing this was going to divide our community. All of you deserve way better than this. Marcano is running to unseat Kaufman as mayor this fall. Marcano proposed tabling Berrigan's resol uh, resolution indefinitely. That proposal failed, five to six, with Kaufman, Allison Combs, Marcano, Ruben Medina, and Crystal Murillo in favor. The council ultimately approved Bergen's resolution amended to reference all innocent lives caught in the fighting by a vote of six to four, with Combs, Marcano, Medina, and Murillo opposed. Aurorian's anger, grief over Gaza conflict boils over at council meeting. Supporters of Israel and Palestine spent hours addressing the council Monday night, explaining how the conflict in Gaza had touched their lives. Most of the speakers railed against Israelis' bombing of civilian targets in Gaza as well as the historical mistreatment of Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. Many wore Palestinian kifia scarves and traditional Muslim clothing. I hope you feel our collective sorrow and anger and sear it into your minds forever, said Khalid Mahrieb, a Palestinian-American resident of Aurora. This resolution, without a mention of Palestine, will only contribute to the genocide of Palestinians, lead to the rise of Islamophobia, anti-Semitism alike, and alienate the Palestinian community who resides here in Aurora. 
He described how anti-Muslim hate crimes spawned by the October 7th attack, such as the fatal stabbing of six-year-old Wadia al-Fayyum in the Chicago area, according to police, have struck fear into the Palestinian community in Aurora and the U.S. In the past week, I've had to look at my innocent eight-year-old brother and watch his smile disappear from his face as I told him it's best he doesn't wear his favorite hat just because it has the Palestinian flag on it for fear that he, too, might become a victim, Mariab said. These are real conversations that Palestinian Palestinian Americans are having with their children today, continuing a cycle of generational trauma that is caused by rhetoric, or actually the lack of rhetoric from council members like you. One Moroccan-American business owner in Aurora, Mohamed Modidine, said he doubted the council's resolution would accomplish anything besides fueling conflict in the community. He argued that people concerned about the conflict should focus their efforts on figuring out ways of reconciling young Israelis and Palestinians. How can we create social justice? Because when you have social injustice, you create more terrorists. You're just feeding the beast. You're not bringing peace. You're not helping either the Jews or the Muslims, Mordadian said. My lawyer is a Jew. My business coach is a Jew. My friends are Jews. I don't have a problem with Jewish people. I have a problem with people who actually exercise apartheid over people who are hopeless. Some also related the struggle to get political leaders to acknowledge potential war crimes happening in Gaza to local advocacy on behalf of young people of color. If you adopt this resolution, the message that you are sending to your constituents, fair and clear and loud, is that, once again, the lives of black and brown children do not matter, Speaker Azlorean Razivez said. When one woman said that those present would remember how council members voted on Berrigan's resolution when it came time for them to seek re-election, most of the audience members raised their hands to signal their agreement. Berrigan is up for re-election this fall, as are Kaufman and council members Combs, Curtis Gardner, and Angela Lawson. Supporters of Israel and Palestine mingled in the council chambers throughout the night, sometimes conversing and arguing about the Gaza conflict. While generally civil, the meeting was briefly paused when a physical altercation broke out between Palestinian advocates and a man wearing an Israeli flag. Members of the crowd joined by Jurinsky eventually separated the two groups. A security officer outside of the council chambers warned that bags would not be allowed in the meeting due to safety concerns. Several police vehicles were also parked around the Great Lawn outside of City Hall, with their red and blue lights activated by the conclusion of the public comment period. Interim Police Chief Art Acevedo said the vehicles were staged outside of the meeting to make attendees feel safe to discourage people from leaving the meeting to brawl. He clarified at the end of the night that no arrests had been made. Many Jews also spoke Monday about how supporting Israel and condemning the violence perpetrated by Hamas were not equivalent to prejudice against Palestinians. David Furzetz, who wore a Jewish Lives Matter shirt to Monday's meeting, said he believed the council should vote on a resolution that acknowledged the suffering of innocent Palestinians as well as Israelis. 
He also spoke about the significance of Israel to Jews who fled the genocidal violence of Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. No countries wanted all of these poor refugees who were kicked out, he said. There's one Jewish state, one. There are 49 majority Muslim countries. I'm not saying that means Israel should be jerks to the Palestinians. I'm not saying any of that. But you have to at least understand where we're at. We have nowhere else to go. Evie Linda Ehrman described her experience of immigrating to the United States and said that while she was considered white in South America and non-white in the U.S., her Jewish identity has always shaped how people see her. Wherever I go, I am a Jew, she said. Jews are an ethno-religious peoplehood that are almost 0% of the worldwide population. We need your help to survive and have Israel survive. During the remarks by Scott Levin, the Anti-Defamation League's regional director for the area including Colorado, New Mexico, and Wyoming, some in the crowd held up an Israeli flag and posters featuring pictures of kidnapped Israeli children. There is no one who's come up with an answer of how to be able to get back those hostages, how to ensure that the death, the destruction, the barbaric activities don't happen again. So on behalf of my community, I'd, I'd just say that while we feel that pain, we also appreciate being recognized, Levin said. Yes, the Palestinian community will also need to be recognized in its way. But this resolution directly is predicated on the actions of Hamas, as is it hard, I'm sure, for my Palestinian friends to hear the words that I speak, it's hard for me to hear what feels like a justification. And I think we all should know that evil has no justification, and that the actions of Hamas were evil. After Levin spoke, apparently unaware that his microphone was still switched on, Kaufman turned to Bergen and commented, What a horrible waste of time this is, this resolution. We are not the Congress of the United States. Following the Council's vote in favor of Berrigan's resolution, most of the crowd left, chanting, Shame on you, and vote them out, in apparent reference to Council members who supported the resolution. Meeting followed tense study session where amendments were rejected. Aurora City Council's debate Monday came a week after the group clashed over Berrigan's resolution in a study session. Attempts by progressives to introduce denunciations of Islamophobia and violence against Palestinian civilians were met with incredulity from some conservatives, who characterized them as inappropriate and detracting from the gravity of Hamas' attack on Israel. What happened to the people of Israel is the worst attack against Jews since the Holocaust, Jerinsky said last week. This is a moment for the Jewish people and the state of Israel, and anything you want to amend to this, I pray that my common-sense colleagues will not allow it to happen. This moment right now is for the Jewish people. Palestinian militants led by Hamas launched a surprise attack against Israel from the Gaza Strip on October 7th, firing thousands of rockets toward the country and assaulting numerous civilian targets including a music festival near Riem, where at least 260 concertgoers were massacred and others taken hostage. The Israeli military repelled the Hamas, Hamas invasion and responded by launching airstrikes against Gaza. 
Targets of Israeli airstrikes have included residential buildings and other civilian targets, which the Israeli military has claimed were harboring elements of Hamas. Israel has also imposed a total blockade on food, water, electricity, and fuel to the Strip. A commission of the United Nations Human Rights Council announced October 10th that there is clear evidence that war crimes have been committed in the region. In its announcement, the commission specifically expressed concern about the killing of Israeli civilians by Hamas and the group's alleged use of hostages as human shields. The commission also said it was gravely concerned with Israel's response to the attack, including the blockade imposed on Gaza, which the group said would undoubtedly caused civilian lives and constitutes collective punishment. Bergen said last week that the resolution focused specifically on the harm done to Israeli beca Israel because that country had been attacked and its citizens have a right to defend themselves. Hamas has violated all laws of war. I mean, what they have done is atrocious. And if that would have happened to the United States, I don't think we would say that we were committing war crimes by defending ourselves, she said. Berrigan rejected a suggestion by Combs to include a condemnation of war crimes, which Combs pointed out both Israel and Hamas are being scrutinized for as well as apartheid referring to Israel's treatment of the inhabitants of Gaza and the West Bank. Jurinsky accused Combs of being anti-Semitic in a social media post earlier in the day when Combs expressed support for the Working Families Party's call for a military ceasefire in the region. After Medina suggested the statement in the resolution that the city of Aurora expresses its support for the people of Israel in their pursuit of peace, security, and prosperity, be modified to also reference the people of Palestine. Jerinsky objected, pointing out that Palestinians elected Hamas to lead Gaza in 2006. She also described Hamas' charter as calling for the complete genocide of Jews. Hamas' original 1988 charter includes numerous expressions of hostility toward Jewish people, including a quote from a, an Islamic hadith. The day of judgment will not come until Muslims fight the Jews, when the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. The stones and trees will say, O Muslim, O servant of God, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill me. Only the Jeharkri tree would not do that because it is one of the trees of the Jews. The group's updated 2017 charter states that the group does not necessarily oppose Jewish people nor their faith. However, it also explicitly rejects the legitimacy of the Israeli state and endorses armed resistance as a way of achieving the group's goals. It's very sad any innocent casualties that can come from this situation, especially the children in Palestine. But it is no secret, and, it is, and it's very public, that it is the people of Palestine who elected Hamas to govern them, Jurinsky said. Council member Juan Mercano proposed that the resolution also condemn Islamophobia and violence against Palestinians, which Jurinsky also spoke against, saying, Israel has a right to protect her people, period. 
I'm sure Crystal Murillo is next with some sort of amendment, and you guys can play this game all you want, and you can detract and detract and detract from what really happened. But let me tell you what really happened. Jewish babies were beheaded, she said. Israeli journalists have alleged that babies were beheaded by Palestinian militants in their assault on Israel. Israeli officials and U.S. President Joe Biden initially corroborated this but have since distanced themselves from the claim, which remains unconfirmed. Allison Combs, think about that. Think about your son being beheaded, Jurensky added, raising her voice at the council member. Would you care who did it? Would you care who did it? Would it matter what religion they were, what race they were? Would it matter? Do not try to turn this around into some kind of Islamophobia. You don't get to have that moment. This moment right here is for the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Combs brought up how six-year-old Wadia al-Fayoum was stabbed to death and his mother attacked in, Chicago, in the Chicago area in what police are now investigating as an anti-Muslim hate crime. Hamas did engage in a terrorist attack, and just as we saw after 9-11, people in our country are engaged in Islamophobia on that basis, and so I do think there's a valid concern that we should be thinking about, Combs said. Kaufman said he also has concerns about Islamophobia and raised the idea of a separate resolution dealing with anti-Muslim hatred but said he thought Berrigan's proposal did not need to encompass that. Murillo also suggested adding a reference to Palestine in parts of the resolution expressing the city's recognition of the historical and cultural significance of Israel and its importance to the global community, and encouraging dialogue, understanding, and cooperation between the city and organizations representing the Israeli community. Conservatives rejected the proposed amendments by Murillo and the other progressive council members. No council members opposed the resolution moving forward from the study session last week. Police say stolen car chase suspect killed himself in barricaded car Friday night by the Sentinel. Police say a stolen car suspect led Denver and Aurora police on a chase in northeast Aurora and Denver Friday night, then shot himself after being forced off the road and barricading himself inside the car, according to Denver and Aurora social media reports. Police reported that the car chase and reported suicide ended at before 8 p.m. at East 45th Avenue and Peoria Street. During the pursuit, two patrol vehicles were rammed, Denver police said. One officer was transported to the hospital for evaluation with what are believed to be minor injuries. Denver police said the suspect was found deceased in the vehicle from what appears to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Aurora police later said Denver officers chased the stolen car suspect into northeast Aurora, and at one point, another vehicle rammed a Denver police car, possibly near East Colfax Avenue and Airport Boulevard, which was closed into the evening. Denver police then chased the suspect back into Denver, where Aurora police, apparently joining the pursuit, used a maneuver to immobilize the suspect vehicle, Aurora police said in a social media post. 
The suspect then barricaded himself in the vehicle, Aurora police said. Denver PD reported they believe the driver died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Aurora police said they have initiated their own internal investigation and that Denver will lead a criminal investigation. Aurora and Denver are working together to provide information as it becomes available, Aurora police said. An earlier ex formerly Twitter post by Denver police indicated there was fatal shooting in the same area where the car chase ended earlier in the evening. That post was deleted by police. In 2019, the Inglewood Municipal Court began the process of creating the Restorative Justice Program in hopes of resolving some conflicts in the community. Four years later, the program has grown. Amos Stenson, Restorative Justice Program Manager, said the purpose is to assist with resolving criminal conflicts within Inglewood. Our restorative justice program works with responsible parties and harmed parties of crime as well as community members to come to a community-based resolution and repairing harm from a crime that occurred, Stenson said. They said the program defines restorative justice as a victim-centered community-based response to crime or conflict which then creates opportunities for accountability, repairing harm, and restoring relationships. Stenson explained the first step to the restorative process is receiving case recommendations from the Inglewood Police Department. Our city prosecutor reviews the, those cases and gives them a green light if they can come to the restorative justice program, Stenson said. They said there are two requirements that must be met for a case to be considered for the program. One is that if there is a directly harmed party, they have to give consent for the case to go through the program, Stenson said. Two, the responsible party has to be taking some accountability for their actions. Judge Joe Jefferson said the program serves both adults and youth. He said the program won't take cases in which a responsible party has existing arrest warrants, domestic violence cases, and traffic violations only. After a case is accepted into the program, Stenson said they speak with all parties and explain the process. If all of those things have been met, then I'll find volunteer facilitators for the case who then meet with those parties separately along with their uh, support people, Stenson said. After this step, all parties including those responsible, those harmed, support systems, volunteer facilitators, community members, and any others impacted are brought together for a circle or a restorative justice conference. Daryl Shute, community member and advisory committee member, said he has been with the program since the beginning and helped shape its structure. My second role is that I participate in the circles either as a community member or as a surrogate harmed party, Shute said. He explained in a circle as a community member he wants to convey to the person that caused the harm that what that impact had on the community. Shute said he has lived in Inglewood for about six years, learning about the restorative justice when he lived in Denver. He decided to join the program in Inglewood because he really believes in the concept. 
I was very taken with the program and what it does to facilitate people staying out of the justice system, he said. I think it's a very effective program. Stenson said those who volunteer receive training on the program and how to facilitate in a conference. The actual training to become a community member is a four-hour training of really diving in deeper of what restorative justice is, but also practicing the role of being a community member in the process, they said. Additionally, Stenson said during training people discuss the impact of the harm a party can do and brainstorm accountability items for the contracts made during the process. We offer ongoing professional development informally to our volunteers, Stenson said. We offer mock circle practice sessions. We offer more specific training. They said specific trainings include LGBTQIA plus inclusivity, trauma-informed care, and, communi and communication skills. If folks are interested in becoming facilitators, we offer a 20-hour training in partnership with the Inglewood School District, Stenson said. That's a 20-hour training based on the guidelines of the Restorative Justice Council, which is our statewide group of folks that are appointed to participate as State Department heads. Stenson said the council is an entity through the State Court Administrator's Office that is there to help with the overall development of restorative justice in our state. For 13 years, Stenson has been involved in restorative justice and joined the Inglewood program after learning about it during Jefferson's campaign. I participated in that community conversation in November of 2019, and then the city put out a request for proposals for a consultant to start in 2020 to work with folks in our community, Stenson said. Stenson said they were hired for the consultant position before becoming the director of the program, which started taking cases in June of 2021. Jefferson said the program is a service to the community and funded by the Inglewood General Fund and fees paid by participants. Jefferson said he is passionate about restorative justice because he believes in a community-based approach to resolving conflicts and repairing relationships. Relationships, in my mind, really not only impact your behavior, but also define a community as a whole, Jefferson said. It really creates this win-win-win opportunity. We're a small town of less than seven square miles, and if anywhere this could work, it's here. Stenson said the hope is that the program will grow into a more community-based space so the practices can be used in other entities in addition to crime. Stenson said the program has indeed grown over the last few years as it serves more people. There's always room for improvement, but we have systems in place for recommending and referring cases, they said. We now have more capacity within our community to be able to hold these circles. I think there's a wider acknowledgement and understanding of restorative justice practices. Stenson explained there are currently over 50 volunteers in the program, and those volunteers live in and around Inglewood. We have data to show that this works and people really appreciate it, Stenson said. 
we have data around completion. We're just now measuring data around recidivism rates. Schutz said the program has grown wonderfully as the program started from nothing. Even though I think restorative practices and this whole idea is ancient, it's not well known in our country, so to introduce it here from nothing to where we are today is exciting to see the responses, he said. Stenson said the program is just now starting to see recidivism, which refers to a person's relapse in criminal activity or potential to reoffend. Stenson said across the state and world, the data shows a range from 8% to 10% of those in restorative justice programs reoffend. We're going to be at least in that range, if not below, Stenson said. Primarily, those served through Inglewood's restorative justice program are youth, which was the initial intention, Stenson said. We went into this thinking we're really going to hone in and work with youth specifically, and we have, Stenson said. I think at this point we have data to show about 80% of our cases are youth cases. They said at this point about 95% of the juvenile docket is going through the program. But as the program has grown, it has also started taking adult cases. Going forward, Stenson said they are excited for so many things and ways the program will continue to develop. We just have such an amazing group of folks in our community who are excited and dedicated and really want to see these values and practices grow, Stenson said. Stenson said they are working with other cities and entities to Im implement restorative practices. It's exciting to look at the possibilities of how we can continue to grow the use of restorative practices in the city itself, in different departments, and in different ways, Stenson said. They said they are hopeful people will continue to remain engaged and eager to learn about the program and its values. I think there's just no telling where we can expand to, they said. Schutz said he's looking forward to the expansion of the program as well as its impact. At some point, I think it's going to outgrow its bounds in the city and probably spill out into neighboring communities, Schutz said. Overall, Stenson said those who've participated in the program in any capacity have responded positively. This really does work. It's not rocket science, and it takes intentionally, they said, and it takes time and presence and attention, and people feel that when they participate, we really honor and acknowledge humanness in this process. And I feel wonderful to be a part of growing these kinds of practices in our community. For more information on the program, visit https colon forward slash forward slash www.inglewoodco.gov forward slash government forward slash city dash departments forward slash municipal dash court forward slash restorative dash justice. Pay gap between DSCD other districts is festering issue by Thelma Grimes. The distance between Aurora and Castle Rock is about 30 miles. However, the annual cost to a teacher driving to a job in the Douglas County School District is between 15000 and 20000 
This is not measured in gasoline, but instead it is the salary difference between districts in Arapahoe and Douglas counties. As the Douglas County School District tries for a second time in a one-year span to get voters to approve a mill levy and bond, known as Measures 5A and 5B on the fall ballot, with most of the funds slated to go towards salaries, teachers, and administrators are speaking up about the reality of a competitive market. Susan Fairchild has been teaching third grade at Sage Canyon Elementary School in Castle Rock since 2009. She was there the day the school opened its doors. With the pride only a teacher can have, Fairchild talked about the joy of being part of a brand new school. She talks about how great it is that she now teaches students who are the siblings of the elementary school's first classes. However, while she loves her job, making that trek into Castle Rock each weekday is disheartening. She lives in Aurora because that is where she can afford to live. Like many teachers who work in Douglas County schools, she cannot afford to live where she works, and she works extra jobs to make ends meet. The Colorado Department of Education reports that the statewide average teacher salary for teachers of all experience levels is $63,235. The Douglas County School District average is somewhat lower at $61,448. However, when compared to neighboring districts in the costly Denver metro area, Douglas County's numbers fall short. In Cherry Creek, the average teacher's salary is $80,221. Littleton Public Schools pays an average of $75,434, and Inglewood averages about $66,500. Josh Miller, the principal of Parker's Cherokee Trail Elementary School, said that pay discrepancy hurts Douglas County in what he called the sweet spot which is having a high number of teachers with experience ranging from second or third year up through teachers who are near retirement. However, to get and keep those teachers, a district must compete in pay, which Douglas County is not doing. You get to a recruiting event and you say we have great kids, great parents, and a great community, Miller said. But once you get to the question of pay, they say they will get back to you. It's about the kids. Our kids deserve the best, and right now you can't put the best in place for our kids. But the test scores are good. Opponents of measures 5A and 5B point to a district already thriving, saying student test scores are higher than neighboring districts such as Cherry Creek. Miller said he agrees that Douglas County students are performing well, due in part to great teaching. However, he said, the problem if 5A and 5B do not pass is the future. When the sweet spot teachers decide to call it quits and retire, Douglas County does not have a cache of quality teachers to take their place. That has a lot to do with the ability to recruit first-year's teachers. While Douglas County is the ninth richest county in the U.S., a starting teacher's salary does not keep up with the cost of living. With the median household income being about $127,000 in Douglas County, 
A brand new teacher is making about $45,000. The Cherry Creek School District pays its teachers about $57,000 to start. Westminster leads the region paying $61,000. Douglas County also falls behind Denver Public Schools, which shows a new teacher salary scale of around $53,000. First-time teachers do not even want to start with the Douglas County School District, Miller said. With student loans, the cost of living, this is not the first job they are looking for. If this trend continues, Miller said test scores will fall because the pool of quality teachers will continue to, to decrease, meaning the district will hire more mediocre teachers or professionals who are looking for a second career where money is not as much of a factor. The message to teachers. Miller said he understands how his staff and teachers are feeling as the rest of the metro area is competing and trying to pay better. The message, he said, is Douglas County does not care as much. There are consequences here that people just don't think about, Miller said. For Miller, the situation is difficult when he has a teacher with a master's degree who is single and driving for Uber Eats at night to keep up with the cost of inflation. Another teacher, who is married with two children, gets help from a local backpack program that provides food, so the family has enough to eat over the weekend. Miller estimated that out of a staff of about 75 at Cherokee Trail, only a handful can afford to live in Douglas County. They live outside of the district because they cannot afford to live here, he said. Teachers tell me they are driving from Littleton where they can work near their house and make a lot of money. Serving us right now are veteran teachers, good kids, and good families. For Fairchild, she thinks about exactly what Miller is describing. Every morning during the week, she drives 40 to 50 minutes, with most of her commute going through Cherry Creek School District, where in average, a teacher can make up to $20,000 more a year. It is disheartening, she said. I live in Cherry Creek, so yeah, I don't have another way to say it. People who are coming and wanting to be teachers are not even considering Douglas County. For sure, pay rates compared to other districts is a problem. Beyond teacher salaries. Besides the ballot measures going forward funding teacher salaries, Fairchild said the measures need to pass for another important issue that directly affect kids, building maintenance and management. If ballot measure 5A is approved, the district will get $66 million in the mill levy override which will specifically go toward teacher salaries. If Measure 5B passes, the district will get a $484 million bond, which will go toward building new schools and maintaining buildings. At Sage Canyon Elementary School, Fairchild said there will be funding to upgrade control panels and the fire alarm system. Miller said buildings are aging, and funding to improve them is badly needed. Devon Williams, who is running unopposed for the Inglewood Schools Board of Education, is a twice-convicted felon for theft with an active arrest warrant, records show. Affidavits from Denver and Adams County Courts, as well as records from the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, show a list of charges going back more than a decade.
They include felony convictions for aggravated motor vehicle theft and theft. Court records show he was originally sentenced to probation in both felony cases, but probation was revoked in 2017, and he was resentenced to 90 days in jail in each case, with the sentences to be served simultaneously. There is also an arrest warrant for Williams that has been active since January 2020, according to the Adams County Combined Court Records Department. The school board election is November 7, and Williams is seeking one of the two open seats. School boards make policies at the local level, including oversight of district budgets and hiring of superintendents. Inglewood school board members are not paid for their service although they may request reimbursement for board-related expenses such as mileage. Williams is uncontested for a four-year term that will begin weeks after the November election. Records show that Williams' active arrest warrant is for a 2019 allegation of aggravated motor vehicle theft second degree in Westminster. According to the affidavit, a buyer purchased a car from Williams and it broke down months later. The buyer arranged for Williams to tow it to a mechanic shop. After some discussion of Williams buying back the vehicle while it was allegedly in the shop, contact ceased. The buyer's next knowledge of the vehicle's whereabouts came six days later when Denver police notified the buyer that the vehicle had been found in a parking garage, the affidavit says. Representatives from the Adams County Sheriff's Office and the Westminster Police Department said any agency can act on the arrest warrant if Williams is placed in front of an officer and there is reason to run his name. He could be taken into the custody of whatever local agency might arrest him and transported to Adams County. South Metro Fire Rescue Board opposes Proposition HH by Taylor Shaw. The South Metro Fire Rescue's Board of Directors passed a resolution opposing Proposition HH, a statewide issue on the November 7th ballot. If passed, Proposition HH would reduce property taxes owed and allow the state to keep additional money that would otherwise be refunded to taxpayers, according to the state ballot information booklet, also called the Blue Book. South Metro Fire Rescue provides emergency and prevention services to approximately 540,000 residents across three counties, Arapahoe, Douglas, and Jefferson. The agency is governed by an elected board of directors. According to the resolution, the board expresses its strongest possible opposition to Proposition HH and and encourages voters to vote against it. It states, in part, if passed, Proposition HH will threaten to impair the district's ability to provide the same level of emergency response and life safety services and facilities that it currently provides. Property taxes account for more than 80% of South Metro Fire Rescue District's revenues, according to the resolution. The resolution said the district's property tax revenues will already be reduced by approximately $685,000 million through the assessed value reductions enacted in SB 21-293 and SB 22-238 and the market value reductions enacted by the Douglas County Assessor. 
Proposition HH could further reduce the district's property tax revenues by about $500 million to $15 million in the budget year 2024 and up to $8 million in future years per the resolution. While the district understands the financial burden that the sharp rise in property values may create, the district and its citizens should determine the appropriate property tax revenues to collect rather than a statewide policy that doesn't account for local circumstances, the resolution said, in part. The South Metro Professional Firefighters Local 2086, made up of 550 active members, also opposes Proposition HH. On its Facebook page, the organization said, support your firefighters and vote no on Proposition HH. What is Proposition HH? Proposition HH primarily impacts taxpayers in two ways, lowering the amount they owe in property taxes and changing their Tabor refunds, according to the Blue Book. Residents can use an online calculation tool to estimate how the combination of the property tax changes the Tabor refund changes would impact them. To access the tool, visit HHCALC dot APPS dot COLEG dot gov. The changes in Proposition H are in place until 2032, but the measure allows the state legislature to extend them without additional voter approval, the Blue Book states. Those interested in reading the full Blue Book online can visit bit.ly forward slash 2-3 Blue Book. Lowering Property Taxes Proposition HH would lower the assessment rates for residential property and most non-residential property, according to the Blue Book. It also would subtract a set amount from most properties' values before applying the new assessment rates. Lower assessment rates and value reductions are estimated to reduce property taxes owed statewide by $400 million in 2024, $960 million in 2025, and $1,090 million in 2026, the Blue Book states. Proposition HH would allow people age 65 and older who have previously qualified for the senior homestead exemption to receive the same property tax benefit in any home they purchase and live in as their primary residence starting in 2025, according to the Blue Book. The ballot measure also proposes creating a property tax revenue limit for certain local governments. With the exception that school districts and home rule jurisdictions are not subject to the limit. The Blue Book said under this limit many local governments cannot collect property tax revenue above the amount they collected in the prior year plus inflation. A local government can waive the limit by annually notifying the public, holding a meeting for public comment, and adopting an ordinance or resolution. The local government revenue limit may decrease property taxes owed by an additional $510 million in 2024, $470 million in 2025, and $520 million in 2026, 
depending on how many local governments waive the limit, the Blue Book states. Tabor Refund Impact The Taxpayer's Bill of Rights, also called Tabor, limits the amount of money the state government can collect, per the Blue Book. If money is collected above the limit, the excess must be refunded to taxpayers, a Tabor refund. Proposition HH would create a new cap on the amount of money the state may retain over its revenue limit. This new cap would be higher than the current cap. The ballot measure would allow the state to retain an estimated $170 million in the state budget year 2023-24 to and $360 million in the state budget, budget year 2024-25 to per the Blue Book. According to the Blue Book, the retained money would be used in the following ways. Up to 20% to reimburse eligible local governments for lost property tax revenue. Up to $20 million each year for rental assistance. Remaining funds to reimburse school districts for reduced property tax revenue as a result of the measure and for educated, education-related programs estimated at $125 million in the state budget year 2024-25 and up to $2.16 billion in the state budget for year 2031-32. According to the Colorado Sun, ambulance, fire, and health districts would be completely reimbursed for the revenue reductions until their area-assessed property values rise more than 20% above the 2022 levels. After that threshold is reached, the state will only reimburse half of their lost funding. If voters pass Proposition HH, the 2023 Tabor refunds are estimated to be $832 for single filers per the Colorado Sun. In 2024 and 2025, Tabor refunds would be expected to decrease compared to what they would be under current law, according to the Blue Book. The measure's impact on Tabor refunds over the long term depends on population growth, inflation, and state revenue collections, the Blue Book says, states. Thank you for joining us for the Arapahoe County News. My name is Tim Elliott. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.